0: True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences, told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called, There's Something in the Closet where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was. Which makes me wonder, if you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls, and it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But The truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story.
2: Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about spoiled spells and regretful rogues. Also, both of tonight's tales are chilling tales exclusives meaning you won't have heard of them anywhere else i'm your host for the evening otis jerry host of scary stories told in the dark now in its ninth season standing in for my very good friend steve taylor and tonight i'll continue to gladly be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams joining to help bring life to the frightening fiction of Sebastian Starr and Cryptic Wander, our voice talents, Olivia Steele, Nick Garoff, and Melissa Exelberth. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight is comes to us from author Sebastian Star and is performed by Olivia Steele. In it, we'll meet a young woman hell-bent on justice and revenge against those who have wronged her husband. When she dabbles into the world of witchcraft, the amateur spellcaster unknowingly curses herself in the process with devastating results. Don't try this at home, folks. <laughs> Without further ado, I present to you, The Parallels.
3: I haven't slept in three days. I'm too afraid to. I'm so exhausted, I can barely get my mind right to form the words. It sounds insane, and I can't make it make sense. But I'll do my best to explain. It all started on December 21st of last year. You know, the day the internet claims the planets would align and a selected few would find themselves blessed with magical and mysterious powers unlike anything anyone had ever seen. In actuality, when the planets aligned, it just made the existing energies on Earth even more potent, allowing people with an in-tuned spiritual connection to the outer planes more powerful so basically no superpowers, but whatever manifested during that day was more likely to happen because of the sudden energy shift. I know this is hard to follow, but bear with me. I would consider myself a very spiritual being. I'm not a Christian, but I'm very religious. I would consider myself pagan. I practice witchcraft and have been for a few years now, I usually don't dabble in spell casting because of the repercussions that follow. I believe in karma and in the idea that whatever you put out comes back times three. It's called the rule of three. Not all witches believe in it, but I do, and I believe it affects everyone. I knew of this rule seven years ago when I discovered Wicca for the first time. When I met my now husband, I learned of this rule. I knew of this rule when he told me he had been sexually assaulted at his bachelor party by the dancer his friends had hired and how disgusting he felt after the ordeal was over. I knew of this rule when I saw the video his friends had taken and he was begging them to let him leave and pleaded with this little bitch to not touch him anymore. I knew of this rule when she proceeded to grope his crotch, sliding her tongue across his face and rip off his shirt. I knew of this rule when he began to cry. He prayed for it all to stop as she climbed on top of him, grinding her body against his. I knew of this rule when his friends stood around laughing at him and the girl grabbed the back of his head, pushing his face into her chest. I knew of this rule as I made my plan to make her pay for what she did. I watched the video in horror and disgust. People love to talk about the harassment that women deal with regularly, they never discuss the men who deal with it. They never mention how some men are ridiculed for coming out about being victims because they are men, and they should have just enjoyed it. And even though my husband begged, pleaded, and even cried for them to stop, they just stood around, laughing, making jokes, and nitpicking. Before he told me what had happened, he had changed his mind about having his groomsmen involved. I thought it was inconvenient, but I didn't question it. It was just me, my bridesmaids, and him. And after he told me about what had happened, I was enraged. Not at him, not even at his friends, but at that woman, if you can even call her that. To allow this man to feel used and disgraced after he made it clear he wanted nothing more to do with her. And for what? Some money? In addition to his groomsmen's party, I took down the dancer's name they were with that night. I wrote their names down in a particular book of mine and waited for the night to come. I had heard about this day and figured there'd be no better time than this to go through with my plan. In retrospect, I should have given myself more time to practice spellcasting. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was how to protect myself from unwanted spirits in case of any emergency, which I did, but it wasn't the spirits I needed protection from. The spell was simple enough. I wanted a way to hurt them without having to physically be around them. I set it up for them to have nightmares every night. For the rest of their lives. Horrible, realistic nightmares that they'd never be able to forget, and just when they think they've finally woken up, they'd find themselves sleeping. It seemed deserving enough after what they did to my husband, his friends he trusted, and a woman in an industry where she should have known better. And I like to think that it worked. At least that's what I'm telling myself. But as the spell settled, I noticed a change in my dreams as well. Usually I can tell that I'm dreaming by looking up at the sky. If I see two moons or a cluster of planets so close I can make them out in detail. Usually seeing one of these two things will immediately put me at ease because I know I'm dreaming. But my dreams started changing. They became less and less obscure. Most dreams are odd in a sense, the scenery doesn't make sense, the surroundings are wrong, and objects are moving that shouldn't move. Newborn babies are talking in complex, complete sentences, but not these dreams. They felt... real. Like I wasn't even asleep. And it was terrifying. It lasted for weeks, until finally, I broke my spell on these monstrous individuals, and I hoped that would have been the end of it. And for a while, it did get better. But then I fell asleep one night, and I was at my childhood home, and everything seemed so normal. I was with my father and mother, and they were together and happy. That should have been my first red flag. My parents had been separated since I was about five years old, and even now, as I approach 26, they still have their disagreements so significant that they can barely stay in the same room with each other. But what made me worry was how comfortable I was in the environment. And then my body shook, my head throbbed, and I found myself waking up in my current bedroom, my husband sleeping peacefully next to me. It was a typical dream, but what fucked me up was how real it all felt. I thought nothing of this and tossed it aside as just a very vivid dream, but then they began to become more frequent. I would have dreams of swimming in pools or lakes and wake up drenched in sweat so thick that one could argue I had water poured on me. I would have dreams of lying in my childhood bedroom and waking up so confused about how I ended up in my current home with my husband by my side. I would dream of traveling in a car for hours with strangers and woke up to find myself looking for them, calling them by name as confusion reigned over me. It got progressively worse. So much so that I began to suspect that I wasn't even dreaming anymore. I felt as if I was tapping into a different world, a plain field that has yet to be explored, and it felt more and more real every night. As embarrassing as it is to admit, it got so bad one night. I dreamt I was in the bathroom talking to my mom and my niece, and I was sitting on the toilet and began to relieve myself. As the warm, yellow fluid rushed out of me, I felt my thighs getting soaked. Suddenly, I was thrust out of my sleep and found myself covered in warm urine. My husband stirred from his sleep to see me panicking and scrubbing the mattress, ripping off the sheets and pulling the blankets off of him. Even though he doesn't look down on me for wetting the bed in my sleep, I was terribly embarrassed by the act. It shook me to the core. How real had this alternate world felt that I was honestly under the impression that I was just using the bathroom? After that night, my dreams have been more and more intense and realistic. Now it's to the point where I don't feel like I ever wake up when I sleep, and this terrifies me. What if I'd go to sleep and never wake up? What if I find myself teleporting to one of these strange parallel universes and stay there forever? What if I get stuck there, begging and pleading to wake up but can't? My life in these other worlds may not be as bad as my current life, but one thing I know about parallel universes is you're not supposed to interfere with the development of the world you enter. It could very much destroy the foundation of the world in question. And you can unintentionally unravel the natural balance of the universe in itself. We exist in our planes for a reason, and even if I try to explain this to someone else in the other universe, they probably wouldn't believe me anyway. Three nights ago, I had one of the worst dreams ever. My husband and I have been having minor disagreements lately, and we've been dealing with them as best we could due to my high functioning depression and even higher levels of paranoia and anxiety, needless to say, our love life has reached a wall. It's been challenging to participate in the act of lovemaking when I feel like my world is literally falling apart. And even though my husband is understanding and empathetic, he's also terribly sexually frustrated, which then adds to my anxiety by wafting me in a wave of guilt. I've buried myself in anxiety and overthinking, fearing the worst, but this dream killed me. We were together in our marital bed, and I recognized the room so vividly. It was our bedroom. The shelf with my trinkets and knickknacks were placed in their exact spots, the dark purple curtains blocking out the light from outside, the TV playing our usual bedtime show was off. The lights we used to color the room were dark, but they were all in their very spots. As my husband and I began to converse, he decided right then and there that he was done with me and wanted to leave. I could hear his voice so clearly. I'm so done with this shit. I'm so sick of this shit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm leaving. My eyes began to fill with tears. My throat closed as I struggled not to let out a cough. My mouth dried up and I felt like I couldn't breathe. I tried pleading with him, bargaining even, giving into my desperation and willing to do anything to keep him from leaving. I finally got my eyes opened enough to see his face. And sure enough, it was his face. His low eyes, a blank expression and emotionless glare. He was done with me, just as he said, and I knew there was nothing I could say to make him change his mind. I forced myself to wake up. I prayed that it was all a dream, and I did everything in my power to stir from my sleep, but all my efforts meant nothing. He was done with me. It was over. He had given up on me, and my heart was broken. I didn't even have words left to deliver, no more air to choke out, no more tears to cry. I was just broken. I couldn't slow my breathing, and eventually, I just stopped trying. I felt myself suffocating under my heartache, and I allowed myself to slip into unconsciousness. And finally, I woke up. The room looked the same as it had. But my husband was still sleeping, breathing softly, his warm body pressed against my back. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to risk the chance of me still being asleep. I waited for several minutes until I finally decided to move, and when I did, I began to cry. My husband began to stir, asking me what was wrong, but I couldn't speak. I just grabbed him pulling him into me and cradling his back. I kissed his shoulders and began to rock back and forth. After a few more minutes, I told him about my dream, and he embraced me, reassuring me that it was only a dream and that he wasn't going anywhere. This made me feel better, but I was so afraid to even close my eyes. That was three nights ago, And I haven't shut my eyes since. I'm so afraid to go back to sleep. It's not even sleep paralysis where your body is stuck, or a regular nightmare where a family member dies, or you're on the verge of death, or inanimate objects come to life. It's worse than that. It's another world I'm being sent to by outside forces. It's a world where everything is outside of my control, and no matter what I do, I can't grasp it, I can't change it, I can't do anything to make it go away. I don't ever want to go back there, I'd rather die first. And I know you won't believe me, and I know how crazy this all sounds, but that's where I'm at. I don't know how much longer I can force myself to stay away. Every time I blink, I fear my eyes will remain closed, as if the hallucinations weren't my only problem. It's almost as if the Parallels are trying to feed into this universe, changing the world around to fit their molds and force me back. I guess it makes sense that last night when I stepped outside and looked up, I saw two moons in the sky.
2: I hope you enjoyed the Parallels as written by Sebastian Starr, and is performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's talent, Olivia Steele. You can hear more from Olivia Steele right here on our very own network, as well as on her YouTube channel called Scarily Olivia. Up next, we've got a second, smaller, sinister story for you, as written by Cryptic Wander, and performed by Nick Goroff and Melissa Exelberth. In it we have a front row seat to the journey of four men having just narrowly escaped with a bundle of ill-gotten goods from a jewel robbery. They take shelter in an abandoned factory, hoping to weather the storm of justice long enough to disappear with their gains. However, someone inside has just about the same idea and the experience, leaves the men wondering if jail would have been a better option. Now, without further ado, I present
1: to you, The Heist. The truck squealed as it turned the corner, going into a sharp drift that threatened to topple it and everyone inside. Marcus got back control and pushed hard on the accelerator. The speed quickly climbed along the open city street, 50, 60, 70 miles per hour. The sound of sirens was loud behind them, and thankfully, the area was dead at this time of night. Marcus knew if it came to a choice between a pedestrian or stopping, he would choose to hit the pedestrian. He didn't want to, of course, but his freedom meant much more to him than the life of a stranger. The police hadn't turned onto their tail yet, so he once again whipped off to a street on the right. It was just as dark and quiet and he looked frantically around for a good place to hide until the heat died down some. The gravel road went off down a grassy hill and into an unlit area. Part of his brain knew better. it wasn't a good place to turn around if he needed to. He would essentially be blocking themselves in. But the truck was low on gas, and this would likely be as good a place as he would find. Hang on, everybody. We're going off-road. He sharply turned off to the right and instantly felt every little bump as the truck careened downward. He shut off the lights as he pulled next to an old building that sat next to an overgrowth of trees and brush. Not quite a forest, but close enough to matter. As the truck slowed and moved off toward the corner of the building, he saw a set of flashing lights drive by. They hadn't caught on to him, not just yet anyway he knew he should try to conceal the truck somehow but didn't have the time to think about it maybe if they got into the building and found an old tarp or something it would be worth doing but for now he and his co-workers got out with their merchandise and frantically looked for a way in the front doors were locked and boarded up as were the windows but marcus climbed up to one of them and began kicking boards out of the way finally He had enough room to slide in, followed by the other three. The four of them took a moment to take in their surroundings. It was dark, but as their eyes adjusted, they could begin to make out a warehouse. Racks lined the room, mostly empty, others with random boxes. None of it to help their situation. The sound of sirens off in the distance was good. So far, they had made off with about $900,000 in precious gemstones. <laughs> we did it, man, yelled Connor. Hell yeah, we're set for life, echoed Thompson.
3: We didn't do shit,
1: came the feminine voice from further away. Naples leaned against the wall, listening for sounds of traffic. Connor and Thompson both looked at her incredulously. What you mean we ain't done shit? We got the goods. We got away from the cops. Now all we gotta do is fence this ice and we split. Real easy, said Thompson, smacking one hand into the other for emphasis. (laughs) Yeah, the only real problem now is deciding which bitches get to ride my junk first, said Connor. Don't be stupid. She's right, y'all, Marcus iterated. If by some very slim miracle the police don't find us here, you think they ain't gonna find us when we leave? Not to mention, you ain't gonna have very many bitches for long. We're that small a payday. What do you mean? It's almost a million dollars, Connor laughed, still wrapped up in his delusion.
3: Now divide that by four, you idiot,
1: said Naples. Fuck you mean to say we risked felony jail time? For a measly old court, yelled Thompson. That was the deal from the beginning, asshole. Don't you be getting no remorse just because you're too dumb to see the bigger picture, said Marcus. Thompson began walking up to him, squaring up his shoulders to meet with the older guy. Marcus pulled the pistol out of the back of his pant line, holding it up to his head. The two locked eyes for a while before Thompson chuckled. <laughs> I need this shit, man. I'm gonna take what's mine and get me away from your goofy ass. Marcus lowered his gun and let out a breath, punk. Thompson and Connor began laughing about all the wonderful things they were gonna do. Marcus shook his head and made his way to Naples, who was looking over a pistol. We need to find a place to stash these just in case we do get busted, he said in a hushed tone.
3: Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. I'm not certain about how our odds are of getting out of here, but I wouldn't bet my life on it just yet. If they do catch us, it could be a good way to knock a few years off at least.
1: I'm gonna go look upstairs. You look down here, and keep an eye on them while you're at it. I don't trust them. She nodded, and they both made their way to the right side of the building. You two stay here and keep a lookout. You see anyone walking around here, do not start firing understand you come get me first yeah sure thing boss said Connor Marcus and Naples looked to each other one last time and then split up the stairs led to an office of some kind overlooking both the warehouse as well as a production floor on the other side most of the machinery was still there and assembly lines filled most of the floor the office itself wasn't overly large A computerless desk sat toward the back with an old, ripped-up chair still sitting behind it. Useless papers were strewn here and there, forgotten by the passage of time. Something odd stood out, though. To the left of the desk, against the wall, sat a large trunk. It was half open, and he could just see that it was empty. That wasn't strange on its own, but it looked brand new not part of the building. Marcus gave it a quick thought and decided to throw the bag of stolen goods inside of it. If the police did come, odds are they would probably find it, but it was better than nothing. After stashing the sack and seeing nothing else of value, he made his way back out and down the stairs. Halfway down as a second thought, he turned to go close the box and heard it fall shut and click on its own. Maybe older than I thought, he said to himself, and continued down to meet the others. Thompson and Connor saw Marcus approach, and also noticed his empty hands. You ain't holding out on us, are you, bro? Asked Thompson. Man, don't even worry about it. I stashed him just in case we get caught, eh? Right? You hear anything while I was gone? Nah, man, it's been quiet as a grave. Naples is still looking around, said Connor. Okay. I'm going to go meet up with her and see what's on the other side. You guys stay sharp." The two nodded and once again Marcus turned to the production floor. Once he was through the door, they looked at each other and nodded. Thompson walked as quickly and quietly up the stairs as he could. The two had made a plan to grab the jewels for themselves and make a quick split while Marcus and Navels weren't looking. He took a quick look around, heart thumping in his chest and noticed the shut box in the corner. He made his way over to lift the lid. There it was, the bag that would change their lives. Grinning, he reached his hand in for it and tried to pull his hand out when he noticed the moisture lining the bottom. His hand wouldn't budge. It was stuck and pulling hard on his skin. Just as he was about to stand, he heard a low growl and saw long, sharp teeth push through the chest's opening. The lid came down hard in his arm, and he screamed as the teeth sank all the way through the skin and meat of his arm. He tried pulling harder, but a long tongue wrapped around what remained of his now destroyed limb and pulled him head first in. A few short screams later, and it was silent. His twitching body was slowly pulled further in until all that remained was a bloody carpet. Marcus and Naples were discussing what their next plans should be when they heard it. They both looked up to the windows in the manager's office, but it was too dark. Fuck! yelled Marcus. His first thought was that they were caught, but it didn't make sense why someone would be screaming from up there. Then he remembered where he stashed the goddamn gems, I'm gonna kill that backstabbing, son of a... On the other side of the door stood Connor. He was pale, pointing up the stairs with a shaking hand. Marcus grabbed him by the shirt and shook him violently. What happened? What the fuck is that asshole doing? When Connor didn't respond, Marcus smacked him a few times. It seemed to snap him back to the world, and he was finally able to talk. It was all... Thompson boss. He, he was talking all cr- crazy about taking everything for himself. I, I saw him go up, but, but he screamed, and I ain't seen him since. Useless asshole, Marcus yelled, throwing him to the ground. Naples was already up and in the room. He met her at the door, and they both looked around. Nothing was out of place except a large amount of blood that was soaking into the green carpet. That and the chest was missing. He looked all around for any possible explanation, and noticed the window leading out to the warehouse was open. There was no possible way for anyone to go out without dropping down about 20 feet. It was possible, but how would have he gotten by unnoticed? And why was there so much blood on the floor? It wasn't adding up. Connor! You sure he didn't come back down these steps? He nodded dumbly in response. Fucking useless, everyone. Okay, Naples, we're gonna split up and find that double-crossing backstabber, and then we're gonna get the hell out of here.
3: Believe me, when I get a hold of him, there won't be anything left to give a share to.
1: She growled back. She pulled out her pistol and ran down the stairs. Connor, you go to the other side and look for him i'm gonna stay up here where i can see everything if i catch you trying to sneak off with them you're gonna be just as dead as he's gonna be got it connor nodded and ran over to the doors going out he knew something was very wrong here and that thompson didn't just flake out on them but he was glad to be down here and away from that room at this point he would have almost welcomed getting arrested He made his way from assembly line to assembly line, gun rattling in his hand, looking around like a scared little rat. He could swear he heard sounds, some sort of movement he wasn't able to make out. Must have been echoes from the other side of the building. Surely there wasn't anything over on this end. Hell, even if he did find anything, he would just stay out of its way anyway, much safer. The bathrooms were over here too, and he realized he badly needed to piss. He was surprised his bladder hadn't yet burst. He ran over to the dark room, into the first urinal he could make out. He undid his pants just in time, and the relief was instant. Tears almost seemed to form in the corner of his eyes as he emptied himself. He was so lost in the moment, he didn't hear the low growls coming from the toilet, or the long, dagger like teeth begin to slide out of the top and bottom of its surface. His joy turned to revulsion as he felt something brush against his leg. He looked down and saw something like a snake with sharp barbs poking out wrap his thigh. He screamed and tried to pull away, but like Thompson, it was like he was super glued to the thing. He gave one hard pull, but it wasn't enough as the long tongue pulled him back and daggers of pain shot through Connor's skin. His screams turned to high-pitched wails as the teeth pushed through the meat and bone of his hip. There was no escaping this thing as he fell to the dust-covered floor. He tried to move away, but his lower body no longer followed his commands and the thing's tongue pulled him closer still. Connor's body was devoured and the creature's enamel-looking body turned to a blob-like state Its mass, which was originally so small, filled out and was growing quickly. The gelatinous blob crawled up the walls and through a hole in the ceiling. The door burst open as Marcus ran inside, gun drawn. He looked around but didn't see anything but a nasty old bathroom at a first glance. Then he noticed the dark color in the center of the dust. He reached down and touched it, feeling it was wet. He smelled it, and it had the iron tang of fresh blood. Maples came in behind him, aiming at anything that could be a threat. You find him? She asked. Nah. Pretty sure the fool's dead. More blood, but no body, he said, as he stood and pointed his gun toward the dark stains.
3: Well, I hate to say it, but we better cut all losses and just go if we don't want to end up like them.
1: She was clearly bitter about the thought of losing close to a million dollars. Who could blame her? Her life was much more valuable to her. It might not be so bad if they knew what they were up against here, but with nothing to go on but pure fucking banishing acts, it would be stupid to wait and find out. Yeah, God, I hate to, but there ain't no way in hell I'm dying in this place. It'll be daylight soon. We ought to get back out front and head south. Nothing but woods once you get towards the edge of the city. Maybe we can make it. With a sigh, she nodded, and they made their way back to the front. Man, I really wish I had a flashlight, Marcus said under his breath.
3: I know what you mean, but we'd be a walking beacon. Better to move quietly through the dark.
1: She said in a barely audible tone. They walked to the door, guns drawn, and Naples pushed it open. Through it, she didn't see the warehouse, but another door, exactly like this one.
2: When were there two doors?
1: She asked, looking over. Marcus looked just as confused when she noticed her hand was stuck. They also noticed the gleaming white teeth begin to form from around the door in its frame.
2: Oh
3: shit, Marcus, help!
1: She pulled hard, but the door wouldn't budge, and its long, fat tongue pushed out and began to encircle her. Marcus fired round after round into the creature. They seemed to do very little, and with his last bullet, he hit what he thought might have been an eye. The creature screeched in pain, and the tongue unraveled around her. She pulled hard, and her hand came away, but not without losing a large area of skin from her fingers and palm. They both ran back, and she sent every bullet she had into the creature.
3: It's not working! What the hell is it?
1: She yelled throwing the gun into its now melting body. The form became an amorphous blob once again and rolled toward them, corralling them into a corner. Climb over them belts, yelled Marcus, and the two began making their way slowly to the door behind the thing. It was faster than it should have been, and as they climbed over the final line, the blob attached itself to Marcus's leg. Let go, you fuck! He desperately pulled and was getting nowhere. The gelatinous form began to make large white teeth, and they sank down just above the knee. He screamed as blood pumped in heavy streams from the severed limb. It went in for another bite, but Naples was able to pull him free. She wrapped an arm around him, and the two went for the front door. She was about to open it when it shot open by itself. On the ground now! A police officer had a flashlight in their eyes and a gun trained directly on them. They got down as best they could, trying to warn them of the monster that was inside, but they were ignored as handcuffs were slapped around their wrists. Naples was taken to the back of a squad car, and they did what they could for Marcus's leg. Detective Norris, who was assigned to the case, pulled up not too long after. What the hell happened to him? He asked, looking at Marcus's grievous wound. Not sure. He was raving about some monster and then fainted. Our best guess is they didn't want to split the money and turned on each other. Good thing the gunshots were called in or we would have never checked out this old place. Anyone been inside yet? Well, we wanted to wait for backup before we cleared it. The other two haven't been apprehended yet. Could get ugly. The sergeant nodded. Wait here with him until paramedics arrive. You too. I want you to back me up. Everybody clear? Yes, sir, they all replied. One of the officers quickly opened the door and Norris readied his weapon. It was quiet. In a hushed tone, he told them to follow as he walked softly inside. They made their way to the staircase and the ladder that led up to a trap door to the same office. He motioned for them to go up the ladder and he would take the stairs. Sergeant Norris was no stranger to dangerous situations. This could easily turn bad fast, so he needed to be faster. He moved as silent as possible, while making good time up to the office, weapon ready to take out any threat. He got to the top and found there was none. He looked around the office, seeing no one other than himself. He did notice the blood on the floor though, still moist, but no trapdoor entrance in the floor. That's when he heard it, the screams of the other officers coming from below him. In a flash, he was down the stairs and looking at something. He was sure it couldn't be right. The ladder they were on was curling up around both the men. The trap door attached to the ceiling was wide open, surrounded with massive white teeth. Saliva dripped down on top of the trapped officers as it slowly pulled them in.
2: I hope you enjoyed the heist. As written by Cryptic Wander and voiced by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights 2016, Evil Idol voice acting competition champion Nick Goroff and Melissa Exelberth, Lucas Webley, He's a commercial and dramatic voice actor from Central England and host of the Simply Scary Podcast Network Terror Under 10 Podcast, in which he also performs lead on all feature stories. To find more from Cryptic Wander, visit their Reddit profile at www.reddit.com slash user slash that's www.crypticwander.com. Melissa Exelbert's vocal talent can also be found right here on our very own YouTube channel, as well as on her website, MelissaExelbert.com. Voice actor and 2016 Evalateral Champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel as well, as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. If you drop by, don't forget to let him know you heard about him here on this show. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close, but before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host for the evening, Otis Jari, and as always, it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams.
1: Chilling tales for dark nights.